What's going on, people? Welcome to another episode of Clutch Pod. As always, I'm your host, AB. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at clutch underscore pod. This is episode 44 of the podcast. The playoffs are well and truly underway and the first round matchups have just ended. We're going to move on to the second round matchups in episode 43. Went over my first round predictions. So we're going to review those predictions and then discuss what went down in the first round. I make my predictions for the second round matchups. It's been an interesting first round. There were a few big games here and there as always. Some legendary performances and yeah, some shock first round exits as well. I can't lie, right about now, Cancun must be popping. <laughs> Cancun, there's a whole lot of man in Cancun right now. I would have never expected to be there. <laughs> not in the first, not after the first round anyway. So yeah, we're going to go through that. But yeah, let's start off with discussing the first round matchups and um, how they went down. I'm going to start off out east. So the Knicks and the Hawks series, Atlanta get out of there in five. They gentlemen sweep the New York Knicks. I can't lie, this Hawks team is much, much better than I expected. I mean, those boys, they show heart, they show determination. And most importantly, they bowled out this whole series. I mean, the Knicks couldn't keep up with them, man. They couldn't keep up with them. I mean, from literally from game one through to game five, the, the Hawks were dominant. I mean, Trey Young, what a playoff debut. I mean, there's been a lot of players who's re who really marked their name on the stage in their first playoff run. Trey Young is definitely one of those people. I mean, he essentially became the villain of New York. He bored out. I mean, no one could stop him, whether it's his float game, getting into the paint pulling up from 30 I mean he was doing all sorts of things against his Knicks defense and it was surprised me really because initially I had the Knicks winning in seven I thought their home court advantage and their toughness on the defensive end would carry them through but ultimately I couldn't be more wrong and I have you got to show them Atlanta Hawks credit especially guys like Trey Young and of course other guys like Clint Capella who dominated the glass and was stout defensively and of course um, John Collins, as well as Bogdan Bogdanovich, who hit some clutch, clutch freeze late down the stretch. So, yeah, the Knicks really, really disappointed me. I mean, coming into the season, of course, we didn't expect them to have this sort of season, finishing in the four seed, having home court advantage and um, qualifying for the playoffs. But they really, really did disappoint me this postseason. Julius Randle, he had a great, great season. I said he should be um, make an all-NBA team, but in the playoffs, he just went missing. I mean, he really, really, really struggled. He struggled to get anything going, whether it's his mid-range shot, his three-point shot. He was just poor, so, so poor. I was very, very disappointed in him. But at the end of the day, what we came to realise was that he's not truly a number one option on a playoff team. He cannot go there and put, carry a team on his back and try and make a deep playoff run when he is your number one go-to guy. So that's no knocking him. Not everyone can be a number one option in the NBA, but it's a, it's definitely a building step for what the Knicks can do in the future. There's all the speculation about how now that they've seen seen to be competent, they can attract superstar players, and that's neither here nor there. We're just gonna have to wait and see how that unfolds. But this series, you got to show love to the Atlanta Hawks, and they're going into the second round after beating the Knicks in five. And what impressed me a lot from Trey Young as well is his mental toughness. I mean, the crowd were giving it to him in MSG throughout all those free home games that the Knicks had. And he said, you know what? It is what it is. They even spat at him, which is disgusting. And I don't even want to speak about how the fans have been moving because it's just upsetting to me. But to show that mental toughness and to bounce back from that, you have to give him credit. And even after the Knicks won their only game in game two, what did he tell them? He told them, boys, I'm going to see you, man, in the A. They went to the A and he gave them that work. So big up Trey Young, man. I'm excited to see what he can do in the second round. And I'm excited to see what guys like DeAndre Hunter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Clint Capella, all these guys, what they can do when they eventually go up against the Philadelphia 76ers. Shout out Nate McMillan too. I forgot to big him up. Listen, the Hawks need to give him that job. I don't know what more they need to see from him to change that interim head coach title into just the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. Let me just talk about the Knicks a bit more before I move on. Um, so yeah, Julius Randle did struggle. RJ Barrett in his second year, you can't really expect him to put the team on his back. Um, but yeah, he also did struggle, but you expect it from him. He's a young player. He still has room to develop and grow as a player. So uh, no doubt about that. I expect him to do that. D-Rose, Derek Rose did put the Knicks on his back, but obviously it's not enough. I remember he did put up 30 in, I think it was game three or game four 
Um, and then Thibodeau did put him into the starting lineup after the second half in game two, which I thought was a pivotal move and a great coaching adjustment from him. But other than that, they really struggled. I know Nerlens Noel, he had a little injury, so he wasn't 100%. But I don't think that's the determining factor in the Knicks win um, in the Knicks win in this series. Shout out um, Emmanuel Kickley as well. That guy, he's got, he balled out for them in his rookie campaign. A great rookie campaign from him. But yeah, New York Knicks will be back. But right now is the Atlanta Hawks that we have to celebrate and congratulate them for getting to the second round and beating the Knicks in five. Moving on to the 1-8 matchup, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Washington Wizards. The Sixers easily brushing aside the Wizards in five. I mean, this is what you expect from a 1-8 matchup anyway. You don't really expect it to be too competitive. That's what the series was for majority of the games anyway. Um, I had the Sixers winning in four. Um, they end up winning in five. Obviously, the big story for coming from the 76ers is Joel Embiid's torn meniscus and how ready will he be to participate in the second round if he can participate in the second round. But purely going off the series against the Wizards, yeah, the 76ers, they, just, they were just dominant on both ends on the floor. I mean, defensively, this team is elite. We've seen the turnovers that they force, defense that Ben Simmons played, as well as Tobias Harris and Danny Green. So this is an elite defensive team. Russell Westbrook especially really did struggle. I mean, he shot poorly throughout the series. And yeah, he's just at this stage of his career, it's just very, very hard to watch this man compete in the postseason scoring-wise when he's so inefficient and takes such bad shots. But at the end of the day, other than that, you have to respect his game. Even in game four, when he shot like three for 19 from the field, but had like 21 rebounds and like double-digit assists, it's just crazy. But yeah, that is the polarizing figure of Russ Westbrook. One person I do have to big up though on the Wizards is Bradley Bill. I mean, that guy is just a certified bucket he's gonna get you a 30 it doesn't matter who he's coming up against it doesn't matter what defenses um scheme he's up against he's gonna drop 30 it's just whether or not it's gonna be an efficient 30 or an inefficient 30 and for the most part it was a very very efficient 30 for Bradley Bill but the lack of help is what really hindered the Wizards from even progressing and as obviously a severe lack in talent as well. One player I do want to big up as well though is Rui Hachimura. I mean, offensively, he did look very, very promising. I've seen him knock down a couple threes. He wasn't really known as a three-point shooter, but he was knocking them down regularly in this series and even getting to his mid-range game. But yeah, from the Sixers, I mean, like I said, they were just dominant for throughout this whole series. What's encouraging for me is the fact that their so-called stars in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both have big games throughout this series and Tobias Harris as well. I mean, in game one, Tobias Harris put the team on his back when he dropped 37 points, a playoff career high. And yeah, he was just balling. I mean, it's such a different Tobias Harris that we saw in the bubble against the Boston Celtics when it was absolutely horrible and he shot horribly from the field and from three-point range. But yeah, I feel like right now in the system that he's in, when is the number one option and he's the number two, he's able to really flourish and the defense isn't concentrated on him as much because you've got your shooters in the corner in Seth Curry and Danny Green who you can't leave wide open at all. Ben Simmons, if there's any way to describe Ben Simmons, yeah, this playoff series summarizes Ben Simmons. I mean, games one to three, he shot all four from the free throw line which is unacceptable. And then in game four, that's when Scott Brooks decided to implement the hacker Ben when they fouled him with just over two minutes left in the fourth quarter. He he kept on going one off two, one off two from the line and the Wizards were able to close out that win for their only win in DC. And in game five, when your star, man, your franchise player is injured, Ben Simmons steps up and moves to the center position and drops a triple-double in a closeout game. I mean, that's just the good and bad of Ben Simmons. But what we do know is that it's an unbelievable talent. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that can move from the one position to run the five in a closeout game in the playoffs. And he'd done that to a very, very high degree and something he'd done very, very effectively. So yeah, the six to get out of there in five to go up against the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going to do my second round predictions after we recap these first round results. So that's going to be an interesting matchups. And of course, like I said earlier, the key thing for the Sixers is the health of Joel Embiid. Is he going to be healthy? How many games will he be able to play in the next series? And whether or not he will, well, I don't think he'll be 100%, but how ready will he be to participate in the series moving on to the only sweep in the first round 3-6 matchup between the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks the Bucks 
bring out the brooms for the Miami Heat and get rid of them in full. Um, the Bucks, they were just absolutely dominant this series. I mean, I've been very, very high on the Milwaukee Bucks this season, but I wasn't, I didn't expect this though. Um, the acquisition of Drew Holiday, everyone's been talking about it, how, how he's able to complement the Bucks two stars in Yanis and Chris Middleton. And one thing about Drew Holiday, in the postseason, he's going to perform. I've been saying this, I said this in the last episode of the podcast. Drew Holiday is a playoff performer and he's proven that this series as well i mean he ain't gonna drop 30 but what he's gonna give you is 20 points on great efficiency and elite level defense that's what he's gonna give you he's gonna knock down shots as well and he's just the ultimate player glue guy you can put with um yanis and chris Middleton, who's gonna who are gonna get theirs and he's also taking the pressure off of chris Middleton, who doesn't have to solely be the only perimeter centric guy who is forced to create on his own so yeah the Bucks were dominant I mean as I said in the last episode they wanted this matchup against the Miami Heat they felt like they had to get revenge for what the Heat done to them in the bubble last year and they absolutely got revenge and then some I mean from game one the Miami Heat were really really disappointed I did not expect them to get swept like this I had the Bucks winning in seven in a very very close series but that prediction just went out the window pretty much from game one I mean Game one, Jimmy Butler was like, what, four for, 20, for 22 from the field? Um, I said to myself, listen, that's game one. Obviously, it's not ideal, but there's no way Jimmy Butler is going to shoot four for 22 from the field in game two. And I don't know what he shot in game two, but it wasn't enough. Jimmy Butler shooting four for 22 from the field and the Bucks winning by single digits. I said, okay, it's a loss, but I feel like the Miami Heat, they can come back, they can bounce back, and there's no way Jimmy Butler is going to shoot like that from the field in Game 2. Game 2, the Bucks were just lights out from three. I mean, they hit like 15 threes in the first quarter. Bryn Forbes just turned into prime Steph. He dropped like 14 points, hit like four threes on his own in that quarter. That that was it. I mean, from when they went two up 2-0, right and was kind of on the wall. I know they still had to go back to Miami, but I just felt like the way the Bucks were dominating I didn't see a way back for the Heat and it proved to be true there was no way back for the Heat I mean even when they went back down to Miami they just it was just a beat down like they were just got blown out the Miami Heat couldn't even get up for their home game in the series so and for the most part Yanis was in first gear in most of these games I mean like even in game three in Miami he had like 11 points deep into the third quarter and if you told me Yanis would have 11 points deep into the third quarter in a playoff game I'm telling you the Bucs probably lose that game but for them to win by um, the margin that they did win it just goes to show how this team has changed and how they've approached this season differently and given responsibilities to guys like Chris Middleton, Andrew Holiday, and you still got and bringing in shooters such as PJ Tucker, Bobby Portis, who's played a big role for them, and Bryn Forbes as well. So yeah, the Bucks get out of there in four, and they have a matchup with the Brooklyn Nets to look forward to in the second round. And yeah, I just want to say I've been really, really pleased with the Milwaukee Bucks. And as for the Miami Heat, a lot of people have been calling them bubble frauds and saying that it was a glitch that they went to the NBA Finals last year. I don't want to say it's a glitch because i know what this team can do given the right circumstances but i do feel like they're they're another piece away if they really want to compete i mean especially bam Adebayo, we all know um, about his capabilities on the defensive end but i feel like he has to improve offensively i feel like even the mid-range shots he was settling for in this series it wasn't his game I know he's been trying to implement them into his game, but he still has improvements to make when you talk about him shooting from outside of the paint. Duncan Robinson was decent in game one as well. It was really, really hot from free. He's going into free agency. So there's a lot of things that the Miami Heat have to look themselves in the mirror and try to see what they're going to do to make sure that this doesn't happen in the next offseason. But for now, they're Cancun bound. The last first round series out east was between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics. The Nets winning in five, just as I predicted. And listen, this team is a scary, scary, scary sight. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't really believe in the Brooklyn Nets in the beginning after they acquired James Harden. I just thought on the defense and they're going to be a liability. And I just don't know how a team can win an NBA championship playing without playing competent level defense. But as this series has gone on, as the big three have started to get reps together, which was another reason why I didn't really believe in them, because 
um, up until the postseason, they had only played like seven games together. And when you consider they have a rookie head coach in Steve Nash, these were all of the reasons why I wasn't really confident in the Brooklyn Nets as NBA champions. But as the series developed, as the big three began to click, I was thinking, listen, the league is in trouble. The league is in trouble because these guys, they're just looking so dangerous. I mean, how do you stop these guys? And well, the thing that stood out to me the most as well was that game four in Boston when KD dropped 42, James Harden had 23 points, 18 assists, Kyrie had 39 points, 11 boards. How do you stop that? Like, that is, I've never seen three superstars like that combined for that many points ever like it's it's just an abundance of offensive talent that they have there and yeah they they just shown that from start to finish i mean it was a professional professional series they got the job done early i did say though on the boston side of things that jason tatum can win you a game jason tatum and, i said jason tatum and kemba walker can win you a game against this Brooklyn Nets team because of how they do play defense and they definitely definitely did that when jason tatum dropped 50 um you got to big up him for that so um, they got their game. I mean, the Boston Celtics, they knew they were defeated from the beginning, especially the way Brad Stevens was talking. He wasn't trying to give their players any motivation to go out there and potentially win this series. Like, I know you're the underdog, but you ain't got to say it. You ain't got to say you're expecting to lose. Even the next role players, obviously, are Joe Harrison, that Blake Griffin is starting to slide at the five and he's starting to make moves. I've seen man have an explosive game three when he's dunking all over the place. So, yeah, it's a scary, scary sight. The league's in trouble and the Brooklyn Nets, they're not coming. They're here. So, yeah, I know the Celtics did struggle with injuries as well Um, in, in the elimination game in game five they had no Robert Williams and they had no Kemba Walker and they were playing um, rookies and sophomores in Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford and then you had guys like Peyton Pritchard Grant Williams out there these are not guys that can um, take you deep into a playoff series not yet at this stage in their NBA careers because they're still young players so the Celtics just just didn't have the talent to match up with the Nets and of course like not a lot of teams have the talent to match up with the Nets because look at their big three but yeah, um, obviously since then, there's been major, major changes in Boston. Danny Ainge essentially retiring and Brad Stevens becoming the new president of basketball operations. And they're currently still looking for a head coach at this point. So it's interesting, interesting moves in Boston. I have to see how that develops. But yeah, the Brooklyn Nets move on to the second round to take on the Milwaukee Bucks in what is going to be a crazy, crazy showdown. So that is the round one series in the East wrapped up, moving out West. I'm going to start off with probably my favorite series in the first round of all these games, which is the Nuggets and the Blazers. The Denver Nuggets, they just don't know how to have a boring playoff series. Like, everything has to be so dramatic, whether it's overcoming 2-3-1 deficits last year, whether it's getting seven with the Blazers two years ago with a triple overtime game. This year, they get it done in six with a double overtime game in game five. Like, it's just crazy. But yeah, I predicted the Blazers to win in seven. But the Denver Nuggets, they proved that they are here and they are ready, even without their star guarding Jamal Murray. I mean, it's a great, great team effort. This is a very, very cohesive and deep team with great, great playoff experience. Jokic proved to be unstoppable in this game. I mean, Yusuf Nurkic fouled out like in three games he just couldn't hack Jokic at all and Terry Stotts didn't even want to consider putting Ennis Kanter out there after like game three because he was just getting smoked and essentially they had to put Robert Covington out there to guard him and Robert Covington a very very elite defender in this league we've seen him run the five in Houston but he's no match for Nikola Jokic Nikola Jokic was doing whatever he wanted whenever he wanted at any given time any given place home away on the road on the bench he he was just doing whatever he wanted so and I had a feeling this was going to be the the case I said beforehand this was going to be decided by the Portland Bigs or the Denver Nugget guards and I think the Portland Bigs definitely decided this series by being so, so poor defensively and having no answer for Jokic. On the other side of things, though, Damian Lillard, I mean, boy, I just feel sorry for that guy, man. What more, what more do they want from him? I mean, that game five loss was just devastating. I've never, ever seen a player get hot like that in a playoff game. I've never seen it before. I mean, every time he brought the ball up the court, I said, this is a bucket. This is a bucket. I mean... To send the game into OT with that three over Austin Rivers and to send it to double OT, 
and still lose it's a very very gut-wrenching and devastating defeat and i was very very upset with him in his post-game interview like i felt sorry for him he just dejected and after they lost that game five i just knew that yeah there was there was no way the blazers will come back and win this series norm power and cj mccollum sold that game but listen it's a thing whereby these things happen I'm not really going to slander CJ McCollum because that guy, I've seen that guy step up in the, on the brightest of stages when Damian Lillard was having poor games in the playoffs. Just like this series two years ago when CJ McCollum put them on his back in Game 7. So yeah, the Denver Nuggets, deep, deep team. Michael Porter Jr., he's he's shown that he's big time. I did say he could shoot your way into games or shoot your way out of games. In Game 6, he definitely shot them into that game with 22 first half points to set the Nuggets on their way to closing out the, the Blazers. I've got to shout out the Denver guards in Austin Rivers, Facundo Campazzo, and of course Monte Morris. Monte Morris balled out this series. I mean, off the bench, he was dropping like 20 points, 25 points off the bench. He was giving them that spark, that energy off the bench when they needed scoring. Austin Rivers played some decent level defense on Damian Lillard throughout. He hit some big shots as well. Game three, Austin Rivers, we won't forget that. He had a fourth quarter takeover when he hit like three threes for the Nuggets to close out that game. That is the committee that they have used to replace Jamal Murray, given that he is injured. The Portland Trailblazers, they have a lot of things that they need to sort out going into this offseason. We recently found out that Terry Stotts has parted ways with the franchise. Um, Damian Lillard is posting cryptic messages on Instagram. I feel like it's going to be a big off-season for the Portland Trailblazers. They have a lot of soul-searching to do and some roster reconstructions. And they just need to go out and get a defensive big man because that watching that series, it just wasn't it. It just wasn't it at all. So yeah, shout out to the Denver Nuggets. They got out of there six. They have been on a roll ever since Jamal Murray got injured. Closed out the season strong, came into this postseason up against an elite backcourt in Damon CJ and got the business done in six. And the reward for that is a matchup against the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns who beat the Lakers in six. One of the shock results in the first round. The shock result in the first round. LeBron James bowing out in the first round for the first time in his career after going 14-0 in the first round. The Lakers were injury plagued. The Lakers were injury plagued, but that's not just why the Suns closed them closed them out in six. Um, the Phoenix Suns, I was very skeptical about their lack of playoff experience. I mean, only guys like Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, and to a certain extent, Dario Saric had played like significant playoff games. I just thought that the Lakers, even without a hundred percent AD and and a LeBron James who claimed he wasn't hundred percent, I still felt like with their championship DNA and experience and with their deep roster, they will be able to get out of this series in like five but the Suns just closed them out in six the Lakers role players they sold throughout this whole series I mean Dennis Schroeder he turned down a contract extension saying he wants over 100 mil for him to drop zero points in a game five is really really unacceptable it's unacceptable um guys like Alex Caruso I know he was injured for a bit guys like Kyle Kuzma it was very, very poor in Game 6. And throughout most of the series, really, KCP was struggling with struggling with injury. He didn't play in Game 4. So the Lakers, they were just down bad throughout this whole series. Um, even from Game 1, obviously, after Game 1, no one was really panicking because they said this is LeBron James's feel-out game where he likes to see how the defense is going to react to him, how the Suns are going to run their offense, etc., etc. But the Phoenix Suns, man, even in that game five, I mean, they just blew them out. Devin Booker had 20 points in the first quarter. They just had no answer for them, no answer for them whatsoever. I got a shout out them boys, even with Chris Paul's injury, which I hope isn't going to affect him going into the second round. They still managed to get it done. Got a shout at them boys, Cam Johnson, campaign as well. He bought out this series. I mean, he really tried to carry the load for CP3 while he was out injured. You know, the Lakers are definitely going to have to make some changes this offseason with regards to their roster. They really need to sort out this big um, situation as well. I did say this was something that Frank Vogel needed to sort out. Their big rotation. Who's going to start? Mark Gasol started in game six ahead of Andre Drummond. Montres Harrell was used sparingly throughout the whole series. So, yeah, it's something that they really, really need to sort out. Um, Anthony Davis as well, leaving in game six. He just didn't he didn't look ready at all. I mean, when you got Devin Booker calling for ISOs on Anthony Davis, you know there's something wrong with AD. He only lasted like five minutes and 
there was all these questions in the media about people questioning his toughness and things like that. There's no doubt that Anthony Davis is injury prone, but I don't think that he would sit out a playoff game knowing that he could still offer the team something productive. The Lakers need to sort that out and the Phoenix Suns go marching on. One thing I do want to say as well, the media, everyone else was saying that the Phoenix Suns were so unlucky having a great season to draw the Lakers in the first round after finishing as the two seed. They're not so unlucky now, are they? <laughs> are they? Listen, Devin Booker, he's big time. 47 points. 47 points in a closeout game is just elite. And yeah, he's ready, man. He's right now. A lot of people are talking on his name saying he can't do it in the playoffs. We haven't seen what he does in the playoffs. Earlier in his career, he was an empty calories guy. I'm telling you, them calories aren't empty now. He's been drinking these protein shakes, fam. I'll tell you that for sure. So yeah, shout out to um, Phoenix Suns for getting out of there in six. And they're going to match up with the Denver Nuggets in the second round, which is going to be an interesting, interesting series. Moving on to the 1-8 matchup, the Utah Jazz get out of the first round in five games against the Memphis Grizzlies. This is what I expected from the Utah Jazz. I predicted the Jazz 2 winning five. I thought that the Grizzlies would take a game. I thought that they would take game one um, and use that momentum they took from beating the Warriors in a playoff game. But yeah, ever since Donovan Mitchell came back, it was just a sweet jammer run. I got to shout him out in his second season in the, in the league. Dropped 47 points in that game too. He put the team on his back. But ultimately, it wasn't enough. The Grizzlies just didn't have the talent to match up with the Utah Jazz. I mean, guys like Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton and um, Desmond Bain, they're all good players, but they still need some better talent to surround Ja Morant so they can become a deep playoff team. Donovan Mitchell, we know what this guy does in the postseason. We know he lives for the postseason. We've seen that ever since his rookie year when he beat up on Paul George and Russell Westbrook in the first round. He, we know he's going to get his numbers in the postseason and there was never doubt in my mind that the Utah Jazz would get out of this series without too much trouble, which is what they ended up doing. Um, one concern though is Matt Conley's injury I don't think it's something that will rule him out of the next series but it's something to keep a close eye on I want to shout out the bench mob for the Jazz though Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles two sixth man of the year finalists with Jordan Clarkson winning it so yeah shout out him that was my prediction for sixth man of the year going into the season and he proved me right but that's not the only reason why I'm hyper for him because that guy is an automatic bucket for the Jazz so yeah the Utah Jazz they're going to move on to the second round and they're going to go up against, at this time of recording, either the Clippers or the Dallas Mavericks, which this series is, at this current time, yet to be completed. We're currently going to go to a Game 7 in LA. It's been a very, very polarizing series. None of the teams able to win at home. Clippers going down 2-0. You know how the media like to get onto the Clippers, so all the memes were rolling about Pandemic P and all those things. But yeah, they showed some great courage and fight to win those two games in Dallas. Um, but ultimately, the Clippers, they're just unable to stop Luka. Luka Doncic is absolutely just violating them. I mean, he's played, what, 12 playoff games all against the Clippers and he's just cooked them every single game he gives them that work. He had Zubac all over the place. Every time coming up the court, gets that switch on Zubac, it's over. It's barbecue chicken. When he gets that switch on Marcus Morris and he gets into his post game and he's fading away, this brother is the truth. This brother, he, he's just special, man. He's just special. I mean, it's not that I doubted his talent, but I just thought that the pieces around him were not competent enough to beat a LA team that who is stacked defensively and have guys that can get it done on on both ends i was just proven wrong obviously the series is not over yet so the clippers could go out there and just blow them out in game seven and all this will be made redundant but as we've seen right now over these six games lucas unstoppable and uh dallas mavericks role players have really really stepped up you got a shot at tim hardaway jr he's been knocking down his shots he's had like four 20 point games this series and yeah he's been looking lethal from beyond the arc and he's carried on that momentum because he closed out the regular season on fire and brought that momentum into the postseason and is really delivering. Shout out Dorian Finney-Smith as well. Uh, versatile defender. He's been knocking down shots. Jalen Brunson off the bench, giving them that offense as well. Porzingis has been very, very poor this series. I mean, I know he hit that clutch corner three in game five for the win. But other than that, he has been so, so poor. 
so so poor and it's mad because the Mavs are winning games and Porzingis is dropping like seven eight points with four rebounds so if Porzingis sports up 20 so it's a scary scary sight on the Clippers end of the spectrum the first couple of games were very very bad obviously defensively Ty Lue didn't have no answer all adjustments for Luca. Um, he did end up putting Batum in the starting lineup, which kind of helped them because Zubac was just getting destroyed out there. And he took Pat Bev out of the rotation, which essentially helped them as well. Reggie Jackson, he was hot in game six for them. But Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard has been quality this series, especially the last couple of games. Game six, putting 45 points up on the Mavericks. I mean, down the stretch, it was just a clinic in how to close out a team. Those ISOs he was calling on Luca. Pull up three, bang. Mid-range, bang. Another three, bang. Like, he was in his bag. He was getting whatever he wanted, anytime he wanted down the stretch. This is the Kawhi Leonard that I want to see. This is the Kawhi Leonard that I saw in the 2019 championship run for the Raptors. Like, I think he's back to his best right now. I think he's back to his best. He had that Luca assignment early in game six. He wanted that assignment. He needed that assignment, quite frankly, because no one else was going to stop him. So, yeah, he's really, really stepped up big. And yeah, I got a shout out. I got a shout out Kawhi because he's in the form of his life right now. Paul George, he hasn't been he hasn't been as poor as people want to make, man. All this pandemic being nonsense. He's been decent. He's knocked down a couple shots. He's had a couple big games, especially in game three when they turned up in Dallas. That was a pivotal, pivotal game. That game three, they were talking about it like it was the biggest game in Clippers franchise history. Cause if they go down 3-0, then it's Cancun, man. So yeah, they stepped up in Dallas and won game three and obviously that game four. So I have to shout them out. Yeah, we're about to see what happens in game seven and who will um, progress to play the Utah Jazz in the second round, whether it will be the Clippers or the Dallas Mavericks. So we're going to find out what goes down in game seven. So that is the first round wrap up for the playoffs. So yeah, with regards to my predictions, some of them went way off. Some of them I got spot on. Only like two of them I got spot on. Hawks winning in five. I had the Knicks in seven. Sixers winning in five. I had them winning in four. Bucks winning in four. I had them winning in seven. Nuggets winning in six. I had the Blazers in seven. And Clippers Mavs were yet to see, but I had the Clippers in six. And Jazz Grizzlies, I had the Jazz in five, which is what actually happened. And Suns Lakers... I had the Lakers in five, ended up being the Suns in six. Nets Celtics, I had the Nets in five, and they won in five. I'm going to move on to the predictions for the second round. So out east, we have the probably the glamour tie of the whole series, the Brooklyn Nets against the Milwaukee Bucks. I feel like this is the NBA Finals. Whoever goes on to win this series is going to win the NBA Finals. That's just what I predict. I just feel like both these teams... Um, have depth they have superstar power they can get it done well one team can get it done on both ends the other team is just an offensive juggernaut who i don't think anyone can stop and with that being said i predict the brooklyn nets to get this done in six as i said earlier i wasn't that high on the brooklyn nets but what i've seen recently i'm convinced that the league is in trouble allowing these guys to team up because it's just insane the milwaukee bucks won't be able to stop them the injury to dante divincenzo which is going to see him miss the rest of the playoffs that is going to be a huge huge loss for the milwaukee bucks i mean he's a guy that can get it done on both ends a three and d guy a starter for them he can knock down shots he can defend at a good level he was probably going to have the carry Irving assignment going into this series. So with him being out, that is a huge, huge blow for the Milwaukee Bucks. And at the end of the day, there's only so much Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and them boys can do. There's only so many players they can guard. With that being said, I just feel like that will be a big, big loss for the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's going to be in interesting to see who they do put in that starting lineup, whether they put Bryn Forbes in there. I doubt they'll put Jeff Teague there. I really doubt they'll put Jeff Teague there. So yeah, that's going to be a hole that Budenholzer is going to have to try and fill. The Nets are better than expected, which is crazy. I feel like their defense will be able to be somewhat manageable. No one can stop Yanis. So the Brooklyn Nets, who aren't a great defensive team, definitely aren't going to be stopping him. But the way I see it is, I just feel like they can outscore the Milwaukee Bucks this series. And this is what will make them win in six games. One question for them is Uncle Jeff Green, his availability. 
He was out with, I believe it was a calf strain, but they said he was going to be reevaluated in 10 to 15 days. This was like five days ago. So I don't think he'll be ready for game one in this series. And that is a loss for the Brooklyn Nets, who we already know they lack size. Jeff Green is a guy they could run at the five or at the four. Obviously, he was a starter for them. So his availability is something that I'm questioning going into this series. Also, I just feel like the Nets have the better role players. I mean, guys like Joel Harris leads, leads the league in three-point percentage. Um, Landry Shamet can knock down a couple shots here and there. Obviously, you've got Blake Griffin. They have guys that can go out there and score the ball. And it, uh, Bruce Brown as well, after Sharta as well, who's uh, probably one of their best defenders out there on the perimeter. So, yeah, even though the Bucks do have nice role players as well, I just feel like the Nets' offensive firepower will be too much for the Bucks to deal with. Yanis is going to go crazy this series. I just know that he's probably going to average like 35 and 13 with like five assists. But at the end of the day, I just feel like where the box will dominate inside, the Nets will just dominate on the perimeter. Obviously, three is greater than two. So if they're replacing all these Yanis dunks and occasional mid-range jumpers for three-pointers on the other end, I just don't see a way the Milwaukee Bucks can win this series. Obviously, it's going to be a very, very highly competitive series, and I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to seven because the Nets, the Bucks can get hot from beyond the arc. We've seen that in the first round series against the Miami Heat when guys like Bryn Forbes and Bobby Porters were knocking down shots on the other side of the board the Nets offensively will be too strong for the Bucks to deal with they're probably going to put Chris Middleton on James Harden and Drew Holiday on Kyrie Irving and obviously we're going to have that KD Yanis matchup which is going to be very very interesting but outside of that I just don't know how the Bucks win this but this is not a knock on their season this is not a knock on the Milwaukee Bucks either because uh, what I've seen from them this series is very, very impressive. They're just coming up against a team which is just so dominant offensively that is gonna. Uh, is I don't know how they win. I don't know how they overcome it. Like they just ran into the wrong team at the wrong time is what I think. So yeah, the Milwaukee Bucks had a great season, but I just predict that the Nets will win this series in six. And move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm moving on to the other second round matchup out east. We've got the Philadelphia 76ers against the Atlanta Hawks. I feel like this is a very, very tough series to predict when considering Joel Embiid has a torn meniscus and will be day to day. Personally, based on what I've seen and what has been reported from the Sixers writers, he's been listed as day to day with the torn meniscus. It's not a very, very big tear in the meniscus. I'm no doctor, but I don't know if he'll be ready for game one. I highly doubt he'll be ready for game one. I don't think Joel Embiid plays the first two games of this series. I think he'll play game three in Atlanta. With that being said, if Joel Embiid misses the first two and plays game three, I don't know what Joel Embiid will going to get because his play style is so physical. Like an injury like that could affect him greatly. Especially when you're coming up against the Atlanta Hawks. That's a team with size and toughness as well with Clint Capella. And you know Clint Capella is a problem when it comes to offensive rebounding. So when it comes to things like trying to box him out, trying to keep him out of the paint, you're going to have to need that strength and toughness to avoid those offensive rebounds and to try and stop him crashing the glass, which is going to be something that the Sixers need to worry about. Because if Embiid is not 100% with his injury history as well, and with that matchup with Clint Capella, could it could go bad. Obviously, I don't wish for that at all, especially me being a Sixers fan. But it's something I'm very, very wary about going forward. And at the Hawks, this team is very, very, very talented. They have guys that can go out there and score. Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, John Collins can knock down a couple shots. Clint Capella is a beast in the paint. I mean, he's a double-double machine, 15 points, 15 rebounds. DeAndre Hunter has proven he has great potential as a 3 and D guy in this league. He knocked down some big shots in that first-round series. So they have guys that can go out there and score. The Philadelphia 76ers, we know they're an elite defense. But without their rim protecting Joel Embiid, I really worry for them with regards to rim protection. I mean, you've got your backup big in Dwight Howard, but he's always in foul trouble. And he's just someone that I don't think can play long minutes without getting into serious serious foul trouble and other than that they have no other big that they can put out there on the paint they run max scott there at times but he's been very very poor and at this point in his career i don't think he's an nba caliber player ben simmons at the five is cool i do worry for that sustainability and that rim protection because guys like trey young he gets to the paint you know he's got that floater game you know he can throw them lobs to john collins or clint capella so um, defensive-wise, rim protection-wise, I feel like it will be a problem for the 76ers. And especially without Embiid, the offense as well. The 76ers 
already have an average offense at best. It's not a top 10 offense. So without Embiid, the number one option out there, um, Tobias Harris will have to step up. And there's been times where Tobias Harris has really struggled in the postseason when he is your number one option. Ben Simmons, we know he's not gifted offensively, but he, you know we know he can impact the game and occasionally get you 20 points. Seth Curry and Danny Green, those are shooters. Seth Curry can definitely explode for a 30-point game a couple nights in this series, as he did in Game 5 against the Washington Wizards. So that wouldn't surprise me. But I just worry about this team offensively without their franchise star and superstar in Joel Embiid like I said if Embiid misses the first two games I just feel like there'll be an impetus on him to be at his best in that game three in Atlanta the potential game three in Atlanta and I just feel like if he overexerts himself this could go very very badly for the Sixers if Embiid misses the first few games I'm gonna have to say the Hawks win this series in six maybe seven because I just feel like they've got guys who can score they've got a plethora of different scoring options they've got guys that can hit shots and they've got a young budding superstar in Trey Young who can get his and who can who can distribute the rock to shooters and to get the Hawks role players going so yeah it's just it's just an unfortunate thing for um the 76ers that Joel Embiid injury history is so bad I mean every year it seems that there's an injury problem for the 76ers last year Ben Simmons was out injured two years ago Joel Embiid had that gastric problems he had like belly problems or whatever so yeah it's just a team that just can't stay healthy when it really matters I feel like the Hawks beat them if Embiid doesn't play the first two games if Embiid is able to play then the Sixers will win this series but if he misses like two or more games I feel like the Sixers will really really struggle and if he does play those games but isn't at least 70% himself, then yeah, the Sixers will definitely struggle. If he plays a full series and is like 70% himself, I think the Sixers do win this series. But if he misses two or more games, or if he does play and he's less than like 70% himself, if he's unable to get his post game going, if he's unable to hit those mid-range jumpers, if he's unable to uh, rim run when the when the Hawks are running in transition which I expect them to do because this is a young team that lacks a run up and down and the Sixers struggle with transition defense then I think that the Hawks do do win this series and advance to the conference finals those are the conference semi-finals out east moving out west the Denver Nuggets up against the Phoenix Suns this is not the second round matchup a lot of people expected me being one of those people but this doesn't surprise me um, this is going to be a quality, quality series. One thing I do question is the availability of CP3. We did see that shoulder injury he suffered in the Lakers series. We did see him go down as well dramatically in, I think, what was game four. He looked like his shoulder was just going to pop out. Like it looked, it looked scary. So I don't know how available he's going to be. And I don't think the Suns get away with Cameron Payne and, and all those guys if CP3, the floor general, is unable to orchestrate this offense. In that series against the Lakers, the Suns, this, obviously they bored out, but they took advantage of the fatigued, injured and unorganized Lakers team. This Denver Nuggets team, this Nuggets team, they don't really have those kind of problems at this moment. So, and I also feel like the lack of playoff experience, I feel like there has to be a time when that becomes a factor soon going into a series. Because I know I said that going into the first round matchup against the Lakers, but as you go deeper into the playoffs, the fact that you have most of this roster is their first playoff run is something that I feel like will take its toll throughout this series. And with that being said, I've got the Nuggets winning in six. The Nuggets... This is a team that has plenty, plenty playoff experience, a wealth of playoff experience, and they're still young, which is amazing. I mean, they hit the Western Conference last year, obviously bowing out in five. They went to two Game 7s last year. This is a team that's battle-tested. This is a team that shows great determination. This is a team that shows great resilience. I mean, to overcome two 3-1 deficits last year. If they get into a rough patch during this series, I don't feel like no one's going to hit the panic button. They're going to say, listen, we've been here before. We, we know what it takes to be able to come back from series and I feel like that will factor into what goes down in this series and that will help them to win this series as I predict in six. Um, it's going to be an interesting matchup especially when you consider the big situation Jokic going up against Aiton. DeAndre Aiton, he's, he's been bossing it this postseason. I mean game one he gave AD that work. If they can get him going he can really cause Jokic problems on the defensive end. We know that's not where he applies his trade I would say on the defensive end. So he can cause Jokic problems on the defensive end while trying to contain him when Jokic is on offense. So that's going to be a matchup to watch out for. One thing I will say though, the Devon Nuggets, I don't think they have anyone that can stop Devin Booker. I mean, not a lot of guys 
normally can stop Devin Booker, but in the playoffs, I don't know if there's anyone out there that can limit him. I know they put Austin Rivers on Dame. I don't know if putting Austin Rivers on Book will reap the same benefits that it had. Obviously, you've got Campazzo, who's a tough-nosed defender, about 5'11". I really, really worry for him, and I doubt that the, um, Michael Malone will match him up with Devin Booker. So that's going to be something to look out for throughout this series. Michael Porter Jr. as well, he's really proven he... He can step up and be that number two guy on a deep playoff team with Jamal Murray out injured. I'm really, really impressed with him. Um, I did say he could shoot you in games and shoot you out of games. Recently, he's been shooting you in games. So we're going to see if he can build on that going into this conference semifinals up against the Phoenix Suns team who have wing defenders in Jay Crowder and Mikel Bridges who can defend at a high level and who could push him to his limits. One thing I need to mention as well though is the availability of Will Barton. He missed the first round against the Blazers with an injury, but he's been listed as someone who can play in the second round if he recovers from his injury. That will be a big, big factor for the Denver Nuggets. I mean, Will Barton, he didn't even play in the bubble last year for the Nuggets. He's someone who has size at 6'7", a wing defender. He can score a bit. He can play make a bit. And yeah, he's not a liability on defense. He's probably someone that they will put on Devin Booker going into this series. So if he can come back, that will be a very, very big positive for the Devin Nuggets. And that's another reason why I feel the Nuggets will win this series in six. Um, the Devin Nuggets, as I mentioned earlier, they're battle-tested. They're mentally tough. Not to say the Suns are not either of those things after shocking the world by beating the Lakers, but I just feel like the Denver Nuggets have more reps and they have great role guys, better role players than the Phoenix Suns. When you think about guys like Aaron Gordon, you think about guys like Monte Morris, as I said, he's been balling off the bench for the Nuggets. Austin Rivers has proven he can knock down shots in big moments. Kundo Campazos. So they've got guys that can you know, go out there and really, really um, hit shots and cause the Phoenix Suns problems. And obviously, when, you, when you've got the Joker, Nikola Jokic, MVP Jokic running the show, I just feel like the Nuggets will be able to get out of this series and advance to their second Western Conference Finals in consecutive years with their old guys stepping up as well and with Jokic doing Jokic-like things, which is dominating. And the final matchup of the second round, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the Clippers-Mavericks series has not ended yet. The Game 7 is going to be at Staples Center. What I'm going to do is I'm going to discuss what will happen if both of these teams go up against the Utah Jazz in the second round. If the Clippers are able to advance into the second round and beat the Dallas Mavericks in seven, I'll give them a great chance to beat the Utah Jazz. It will be a very, very great feat for the Clippers if they're able to beat the Mavs and advance to the second round against the Utah Jazz because it will show that they're mentally tough after going down 2-0 in the series at home to go on the road to Dallas to win two games and then close them out in seven after going down 2-0 and going down 3-2 which we know um, the statistics do not favor those teams who go down in a playoff series by those deficits so that could be um, a step in the right direction of proving the doubters wrong I mean Kawhi Leonard has been his best since 2019 when he was on the Raptors and they won that championship. I think he'll be able to dominate as well in the potential matchup against the Utah Jazz. Paul George as well, he'll, he'll be able to dominate as well. They've got guys that can score. Reggie Jackson, we've seen occasionally he can go off. Occasionally, I put that in quotations. Even the going off, I put that in quotations. He can knock down shots because Morris, I know he's been shooting poorly from beyond the arc in this playoff series, but he could knock down shots. I mean, the Clippers, this was the best three-point shooting team in the regular season. So I do feel like that should average to the mean at some point throughout this playoff run if they're able to get out of the first round. And I feel like they can cause the Jazz a lot of problems. The Jazz makeup is very similar to the Dallas Mavericks in they have that one bona fide star with a lot of great role players around him in Donovan Mitchell. I know Rudy Gobert is a star in his own right defensively, but we'll talk about like offensively and affecting the game in um, like both ends of the floor. And then you've got obvi obviously guys that can shoot in Bogdanovich, got your Royce O'Neal who could knock down a couple shots, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson off the bench as a bucket. So I think it's a very similar scenario somewhat to the Dallas Mavericks. The Clippers should be able to contain Donovan Mitchell more than they dealt with Luka Doncic because he was just doing whatever he wanted. And Donovan Mitchell isn't isn't a gifted passer as much as Luka Doncic is. The him 
being six or seven inches shorter than Luka Doncic does play a factor as well. So I feel like the Clippers can really show that they have two elite wing defenders and a good defensive team in general that can that will show more in this potential Jazz series than it has shown in the Mavs series. So I've got the Clippers winning it in six. I feel like Kawhi is able to elevate and to carry this team with Paul George as his sidekick, their role players in Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, who's been very, very good as well. They can elevate in their roles and, and get this done in six if they are able to advance in game seven against the Mavericks. On the flip side of things, if the Dallas Mavericks do beat the Clippers in game seven and go up against the Utah Jazz, strictly speaking, on, on a Jazz Mavericks series, Utah, I feel like they're the better team with better role players in general. I know the Dallas role players have really stood out in this series, Tim Hardaway Jr. and then boys. Um, but the Utah Jazz team, like their system is just so structured and they're just fundamentally sound. I mean, the whole team, everyone on, on the roster can basically shoot, defend and pass at a high level. Like you've got Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich and can score the ball at a great level and he's a good shooter. Jordan Clarkson, obviously, on the defensive side of things, I wouldn't, he doesn't tip his hat on that side, but he's a great offensive guy and can score the ball at a very, very high level. Mike Conley as well, if he's available to play, he's their floor general. So yeah, the Jazz also, I just feel like they're more experienced than this Dallas Mavericks team and I think that that can help them and they're much, much better defensively. They can clamp up and get stops when it matters. They've been a great defensive team all, t all season. They've been a great great offense and defensive team all season and I feel like this will show in this potential series and we all know Donovan Mitchell is a playoff performer he's gonna go out there and probably average his 30 points on great efficiency as well decent efficiency when you've got Rudy Gobert patrolling the paint so their defense is very very structured I feel like this will help them um Luca because of the Jazz defense being so sad I feel like Luca you won't be able to hunt switches as easily when they do run that pick and roll because everyone on that team is able to hold their own defensively. I wouldn't say Bogdanovich as such, but if you switch on to someone like Royce O'Neal, you can't stop him, but they'll be able to limit him and frustrate him on the offensive side of the ball, whilst giving him a lot to think about defensively. So yeah, I've got the Utah Jazz winning this series in seven. I just feel like they'll be able to edge this Mavs team who have shown a lot. That's obviously if they do end up matching up against each other because they're the better defensive team and offensively they have a guy who can put the team on his back and close out games for them whilst being an elite defensive team with guys that really go bare protecting the paint. And obviously, you've still got guys like Derek Favors, who's shown to be a serviceable big man in this league. So, yeah, if the Mavs do match up with the Utah Jazz in the second round, i got the Jazz advances to the conference finals and winning in seven. So that's a lot to take on. Let me just wrap it up. My second round predictions. I've got the Nets winning in six. I've got the Hawks winning in six, depending on the availability of Joel Embiid. If Joel Embiid misses the first two games, I think it's going to be a very, very hard series for the Sixers to win, hence why the Hawks will win. If Joel Embiid is not at least 70% and misses the first two games, I think the Hawks win. If Joel Embiid is at least 70% and plays majority of the series, I think the Sixers do close them out in six or seven. Well, based on what's happening right now, Embiid's missing the first two games and... I don't think he's going to be at least 70%. So the Hawks winning six. I've got the Nuggets winning in six. And I've got the Clippers winning in six or, or the Jazz winning in seven if they play the Mavericks. So yeah, that is episode 44 of the podcast. My second round predictions and my first round recap. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at clutch underscore pod and also on Instagram at clutch underscore pod. And we're going to see how this second round does unfold and how that game seven between the Mavs and the Clippers unfolds. And yeah, I'll be making a prediction for my conference finals. Yeah. <laughs>